episode of That's What People Do. We're coming back at you again. And as always, Ryan McGowan is joining me. Ryan, hello. Hello, hello, hello. How are we? Uh, very well, very well. How are you? Very good, very good. I'm excited to talk about uh, today's topic. Yep. So last week we covered... Fuck, who did we cover? Why has my brain gone dead? Last week we spoke about... I know, I know, yep. Yeah. Um, I can't remember his name because it was Danish. Um, Something <laughs> Brahe. Tycho Brahe. That's the one, the astronomer. Really, really weird eccentric guy who had a pet dwarf, which is unethical. Speaking of unethical, that is a nice little segue into what we're going to talk about today, which is the Stanford Prison Experiment. You might have heard of it, you might not have heard of it. It's an experiment, basically, a psychologist called Philip Zimbardo set up in... Zimbardo. Yeah, Zimbardo in Stanford College, where he hired about 25 young men as students and promised them £15 a day. Half of them were prison guards, the other half were prisoners and he kind of wanted to see what happened and that's kind of what we're going to talk about because a lot of shit happened but we do need to put a disclaimer at the start me and ryan were going to watch films about this and we've just found out we watched very different films (laughs) about this so ryan what film did you watch so when we discussed this so uh we we said like a little while ago we wanted to talk about the stanford experiment and i was like oh there's a film based on it and james was like yeah it is it's really good and i was like yeah it is we should totally watch it and then talk about it and then I watched the film The Experiment with Adrian Brody and Forrest Whitaker in it, which is loosely based on The Experiment and obviously is very heavily dramatised. James, mm-hmm. you watched a film called? I watched The Stanford Prison Experiment, which is based purely on The Stanford Prison Experiment and the book by Philip Zimbardo, which is The Lucifer Effect. Which came out in 2015, and the film I watched, yep. The Experiment, came out in 2010, and I didn't know that there was a film later on based on the actual experiment until yeah. about 12 hours ago before we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan's is a lot more Hollywood. Mine's a lot more focused, I guess. Yeah, so what we're kind of going to do is we're going to talk about the Stanford experiment, the actual experiment, uh, talk about maybe how um, James is going to mention how in the film The Stanford Experiment they uh, show it, and then I will show how the experiment, which was filmed in 2010, uh, overhypes it. Yeah, because they had to ham it for Hollywood, which is why if you go on IMDb, the Stanford Prison Experiment is only rated six point something, which I thought was weird because it's a great film, but I think because it doesn't over-exaggerate things, it's just very real. I think people probably were like, oh, this is shit. The thing is, but that... when you think about the fact that it actually happened, like it's crazy. I'd never heard of it either. I'd never, I didn't know this film came out. 2015. I'd just graduated from university, so I was in, I was in like early 20s, and I'd never heard of it. And I was aware. Mm, Ezra of... Miller stars in it. Yeah, Ezra Miller. It's got quite a few good actors in it. I'd never mm. heard of it, and I was, I was even then in 2015 aware of the Stanford Prison Experiment. I just didn't know that they'd made a film to be a a retelling of the story i only knew about the hollywood adaptation of the experiment which is in itself an adaptation of another film we gotta love a good old adaptation an adaptation of an adaptation of an adaptation i do kind of want to watch that one now because i do like things that are hammed up for hollywood it is very good in the sense um well i'll explain it while when we uh go through it but it things are just like overly done like even things like, you know, um, where they're kept is a bit Hollywoody. 
like we'll explain oh, later really? we'll explain later like okay. where the prison is built and in the film the experiment it's almost like an actual prison that's just been taken out of some penitentiary and just plopped in this room and it looks very legit and it's like yeah they definitely didn't do that right fair Okay, so another disclaimer before we start is getting names right for the actual thing is very difficult because, well, truthfully, I watch the film as my main source of research and the prisoners don't have names. They're numbered, which is yeah. a big thing. Yeah. And the prison guards are very, very rarely referred to. So I do have some, like the the main ones, but a lot of them probably, unfortunately, I won't be able to name yeah, I bel- but I have I have the big dickheads, don't worry. Yeah, we, we yeah I I'm a very I think I know the big dickhead you're referring to because I have this dude's name. He's like the only one who really comes out and talks about it. He was the main prison guard who everyone says is like, oh yeah, he was the ringleader. Oh yeah, there's there's, there's two really that kind of shone to it, but one more so yeah. than the other. He's and then he tries to justify it at the end, but we'll yes. we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to we that. We will get there. <laughs> so. In 1971, I think in August, a advert was put up for men, young men wanted to take part in a prison experiment. They're offering $15 per day. And obviously, I don't I don't know how much 15 bucks a day is worth in 70s, but some out-of-work students thought, fuck it, it'll be cool to do for two weeks. And that's the thing, it was going to run for two weeks. Mm. That's important to remember. So they, they signed up, and they took pictures, and they interviewed them. And the, the interview process is... It was kind of deep. It was they asked questions like, "Have you ever acted out in rage? Have you ever tried to kill yourself? Are you addicted to drugs? Like that kind of thing." Yeah. Um, well, so to start with, I worked it out. Fifteen dollars a day in nineteen seventy-one works out at ninety-five dollars today. Oh shit! That's good daily wage. It's more than what like I make at my job a day. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Yeah, I would. I'll take that. I would take ninety-five dollars a day, and um. Also, it was funded by the U.S. Navy, the whole experiment. I didn't know that. Yep, the U.S. Navy uh, funded this experiment because they wanted to sort of get more information on, like, uh, military prisons and the way people behaved in them because, obviously, they have soldiers who are trained and then, like, they're getting prison and they start acting out a bit differently and they're like, why is this happening? Uh, and that's how they got hold of Zimbardo to do it. Interesting. Um, but, yeah, no, the questions I find baffling... Um, Asking about like religions and stuff like that. Where do you get your morality from? Things like that. Um, what makes you good and stuff like that. Um, I find a bit odd. Mm, they just wanted to, I think, really get a, a good view on who they were. Yeah. Hiring and what role they would suit. Although for a lot of the roles, they simply chose them by a flip of a coin. Yes, that's true. That's true in the actual experiment, isn't it? They they just chose them by flipping mm. coins, which I think which is, is a good way. Really of doing interesting. It. Because there's a shot where the last two are being picked and the guy uh, played by Ezra Miller, Daniel Culp, or Prisoner 8612, as he's only ever referred to, and um, the a guy who ends up being the big dickhead guard, Christopher Archer. I, again, I don't know if these are names just for the film or if, they, or if they're the actual names. I'm going to assume they're the actual names. They, they were the last two on the table and they just flipped a coin. And the big argument all the way through is that the, the prison guard was such a massive dickhead to Ezra Miller's character. He didn't like at the end he's like he tried to justify it by saying but it was a flip of a coin if it was the other way around you probably would have done exactly the same mm. but we'll get to that well uh the, we'll get so to that the, the other name i have uh so I, you were asking whether you're not sure if the names are real or not in terms of the film the name i have is dave elsham 
Dave Elsham. Let me have a little look. Dave Elsham. I can't see a Dave Elsham. So Dave Elsham is, um, he was 18 at the time. His dad was a professor at Stanford University. Um, and he is, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures from this time. He's the dude with the sideburns, long hair and like aviator mirror glasses on. And he's the dude oh, right, at the okay. end of the interview, uh, the end of the uh, experiment, who's doing an interview with one of the prisoners. Yeah, that's him. Okay, that's I'm 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 even looking now, and their names are so difficult to find. Mm. Interesting. Well, so in in um the experiment, the 2010 film. Oh yeah, David Elsham. I think they re- I think they renamed him in the film. So. Yeah. Yeah, because Dave Elsham is like the only person it seems who's who was a guard, and comes out and speaks. Um, there's a YouTube series called Mindfield, uh, and he appeared on that to talk about it and tries to justify it now even like forty odd years later. Um, mm. But yeah, in the film The Experiment, um, they show like the interviewing process, um, and like these guys are. Asking all these questions about, you know, do you have religion? Do you, how do you get, where do you get your morality from? Stuff like that. And then they put them in like this testing facility room where it's a bit a clockwork orange. They sit them in front of a TV screen and they just show them loads of violent images and like violent videos and peaceful videos and stuff before they get put into these prisons. And I'm thinking, I don't think, I, I, I'm like, this is not sterile. You know, you're putting violent images in their head before they go in, regardless of whether they're about to be a prisoner or a guard. I think they're forcing the whole issue. And I imagine we will get onto this later. Zimbardo gets a lot of shit because people claim that guards were told to be dickheads. This is the thing. It's it's either a case if they were told to be dickheads or when they were being dickheads, nobody stepped in. Mm. Because they were strictly told at the beginning, you must not, under any circumstances, hurt another prisoner physically. Yeah. And that went out the window quickly. So, and no one stepped so in. So they were given, um, obviously they, they were decided by the toss of a coin, and guards were given full uniform, uh, and some of them, in fact, I think most of them, wore mirrored aviators, and apparently that was uh, yeah, it was part of their part uniform. Of the uniform. And it was a, a way for them to remain distant from what they were doing, so they're not going to get like looked into the eyes by the prisoners, so they may not feel bad or stuff like that. Um, and the guards were their 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 rules were maintain order, and they were allowed to use any means necessary, such things like harassment. They were allowed to withhold food. Uh, they were allowed to stop all privileges that were given to prisoners. But like you said, under no circumstances was there to be any violence. Yeah, and that didn't last long. I found the name of um, Douglas Corpy is the Ezra Miller character. I see, yep, yep. He was, he was the one who really, really had a hard time. Mm. Yes, yeah, he tried to leave, didn't he? Yeah, and he, he did get let go. Yeah, he did, yeah, because... Uh, no, I'm not sure if we're just skipping ahead too far, but uh, I think is it day three? Uh, around day three, day... yeah. Thirty six hours in, he had a fucking That's it. proper mental breakdown. Yeah, Thirty six hours in, he had a breakdown. He wanted to get out. Uh, the researchers, having watched him for a little while, decided to take him out, seek some medical help. And when he did, the rest of the prisoners 
who I will remind you are just normal people, like they're normal college students. They don't have a history of like um, criminality or stuff like that. They all started to turn on him and were like, he's snitching. That's what he's doing. He's going out to snitch and tell on us and do this stuff. And the prisoner who was sick, Ezra Miller's character, refused to stay at the experiment because he was worried that he would be cut. He would look bad, wasn't it? He's worried he'd look bad and he needed to go back in there to show face. And he had to be reminded that he's not actually a prisoner and it's not actually a prison. It is just an experiment. And that's when he left after he was convinced of that. And he was only in there for 36 hours. Mm, he It says here that he faked everything. He started off with a uh, a stomachache. Because he was we're skipping ahead a lot, to be fair. But he started off with a stomachache saying, I really don't feel well. This is when he was locked in a closet, which is the hole. So he was just shut in a pitch black like cupboard yeah so he started faking a stomach ache and they didn't really believe him but they still took him up to see like the people running the experiment and they were like it's bollocks you're, you're lying so they sent him back down then he says here he faked the mental breakdown and then they let mm-hmm. him go whether that's true or not you don't know but so um once the guys had been picked it was now uh time for them to go to their fake prison um which was done by them being actually arrested by police officers, actually handcuffed at their homes, put in a squad car, taken to a processing unit, fingerprints, the whole shebang. They were actually arrested, and then they were blindfolded and taken to the basement of the psychology unit at Stanford University, which had been transformed into Mm. a mock prison. Which was yeah, essentially just, just a, corridor. a corridor. And the doors were then improvised and had bars put on them. Uh, they had a solitary confinement room, which was just a cupboard. And that was it. It's how they got... You wouldn't be able to get away with this nowadays. I not would hope not. <laughs> uh, in the film The Experiment, the 2010 make, um, none of that happens, really. They sort of just... They go and have their interviews, they get picked, they all get put in a, uh, a bus and they get driven to uh, this small building out in a big field. No one's blindfolded, no one's processed, they're just taken to this room and when they get inside they're just called out one by one, you're going to be a guard, you're going to be a prisoner and then they get put on their prison uniforms. Now this looks like a genuine prison which a lot of money and effort's got into and it just when I watched it, having seen the documentaries on the actual Stanford experiment and how it was just basically one little corridor and then watched this film, which was just this elaborate mini prison, I had to laugh. It was very Hollywood. And I was like, oh, God, oh, I remember this because I yeah. remember seeing it years ago. But yeah. <laughs> and in the film, it uh, the the head researcher tells them that whilst they're in there for two weeks, they will lose their civil rights. <laughs> it's like... Remember, whilst you're in here, you have no civil rights. And I had to look it up. Civil rights and human rights are very different. Human rights are the mm. things you get for just existing. Civil rights you get for being part of or a civ- civilian of a particular land. So, um, like, political rights and freedom rights and stuff like that. Um, right, okay. They apparently lost them. They've signed away their civil rights whilst in this test. Mm-hmm. So once they're in the prison, they are stripped, aren't they? Stripped, showered, and deloused. 
Yeah, I think it's just standard prison procedure. I think in most prisons around the world, you are forced to strip straight away, which I'm sure was quite a shock to these lads who thought, well, this is going to be an easy $15 a day, just sit around. A lot of them thought they would just generally sit around and do yeah. nothing for the whole two weeks, and then they could, they'll be free to go. Obviously, that's not what happened. But Zimbardo wanted to see like what the psychological effects of being a prisoner or a prison guard mm. were on the individual. And by doing that, he stripped away their individuality. So the the guards all wore the same uniform, glasses, etc. And the prisoners all had kind of like these gowns that they referred to as dresses with a number on, and they their names were removed, and they were only referred to as their number. And the guards were called uh, mm-hmm. correctional yeah. officer, something yeah. like that. So 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 no one no, was an individual. Uh, so they were given then as well, um, like swimming ball caps to. Uh, uh, signify mm, them yeah. having had their heads shaved because they weren't allowed to do that um, and they were not allowed to wear underwear underneath these gowns uh, which is just further mm. ways of trying to I suppose dehumanise them um, which again to me is is forcing something to happen um, you're not just putting lads in like a jumpsuit and just putting them in a room with guys who are in um, uh, an officer's uniform and they're just hanging out you're actively trying to make them feel like they're suppressed and change their mentality and their behavior so I, uh, to me i think you're just trying to force yeah. an issue <clears throat> you remove all of the prisoners power and give the guards too much power yeah so already it's at an imbalance which is what I think the, the the experiment was also for the guards as well as the prisoners to see how they would act and i think the guards are the ones who acted most irrationally as opposed to the prisoners. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're in a position of power and a lot of them abused that position um, and for no apparent reason, really, other than the fact that they could. Mm. So it would be things like waking the prisoners up in the middle of the night and having counts, which they would make them line up outside their cells. They did this so often and have them just recite their numbers or have them do push-ups, sit-ups, these kind mm. of things. Uh, at one point, he starts making them sing their numbers and just really dehumanise them and really make sure to hammer home that they are nothing more than a number. Yeah. Um, and some of the prisoners very, very quickly began to take on their role uh, very and, and took it very seriously. Um, mm, some adopted it yeah, a lot quicker so than Yes, so they others. made mock parole boards, um, which are uh, like... I suppose you could say like mini court where you can go and speak to a parole officer and just uh, justify why you should be released from prison. Say, I've learnt my lesson, I acknowledge my crime, I've behaved, I've changed, I'm a better person for it and I believe I should go out. And then the parole board will uh, examine whether you, that is a correct assumption, whether you're safe to return to public. Uh, and this was a way for the prisoners and for the researchers to get to know what's going on in their heads. And they realised very, very quickly that these normal college boys, uh, and we, we should, you know, for the purpose of the experiment, point out, they are all, for the most part, Caucasian men, uh, except for one Asian student, uh, Asian-American. Um, they all took on a persona of having take, uh, committed a crime. And were trying to justify why they should be let out and things like that, which I think shocked them. 
Mm, it's baffling. It they there's a scene in the film where they're write they're allowed to write letters home, right. and obviously the letters never got delivered home. They just like write a letter. You were allowed to write one letter, and this was on very uh, very start of the experiment. And all of the prisoners signed it with their actual names, except one who signed it with his prison number. Wow, That's which they were they were quite shocked by. And this uh, and this is all in day one. We've noticed as well in day one. Um, it's Dave Elsham, uh, the prison guard that I brought up earlier. Um, on day one, not even 24 hours into this experiment, pu- pu- uh, push-ups were a big uh, punishment for the prisoners as there's not really much else they could do. They're not allowed to be violent toward them. They can put them in solitary confinement, but for the most part, it's only day one. Push-ups are the main thing. There's video footage of Dave Elsham with his foot on the back of a prisoner whilst trying to do push-ups to make it harder. Mm. So not even 24 hours in and he's being a dick. He put on a character. He he changed his voice purposely and people referred to him as like the John Wayne character. Yes. He, he put on an accent for it and he just took on a complete different persona, which he could say he's acting, but I think he... he wanted to kind of hide behind a character to justify what he was doing because he turned into a right nasty bastard he did he did it was an absolute knobhead now he he does actually turn up um i say on on one of these uh, youtube channels called mindfield um he um he tries to justify it uh says that he still gets hate mail for his role in the experiment, which the guy interviewing him was really surprised at, because it's now like, I suppose it's 50-odd years now, isn't it? Mm. Um, he apparently still gets hate mail for his role in the experiment, because obviously it's quite a famous experiment. It's it's like Psychology 101 for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, as I say, he's got his foot on the back of one of the guys who was doing press-ups. He says that their job was to get results from the prisoners. He swears blind that the guards weren't the experiment. In fact, they were. But that... He was only 18 at the time. He wanted to be the worst guard there. He believed that the experiment was the prisoners, not him. Not the guards. They weren't here to be uh, tested and viewed upon. It was all about Mm. the prisoners. So he believed in his mind, as an 18-year-old kid, oh, well, okay, so I'll just be a horrible guard, and then those guys doing the experiment can get the best results from these prisoners. Um, Mm. And that was his justification for doing that. Um, and he's just a knob. He's just hey, this is the thing. Why would Zimbardo hire eighteen-year-old like students who are immature and stupid? Really, like you're not going to get much out of them. Surely you'd want to hire mature, older men to do that. That's that's the thing. If he thinks it was to do with the prisoners, he's he's got it sorely wrong. Yeah. And also in some of his interviews, where he's interviewing with a prisoner who he massively mistreated, the one that quit within thirty six hours, he says, "I was running my own experiments." Oh, and, God. and the dude is like, "What the fuck are you on about?" I've this never wasn't... wanted to punch someone so hard when I saw that bloody footage of him going. Oh, I was just conducting my own experiments, and then the guys. You could see the guy who was. Who was who was the prisoner? Go, you what? Your own experiment? Tell me about those experiments. And he's like, yeah, I was conducting my own little experiments. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you yeah, it's fuck. the experiment of how much shit can I say to another human being until they answer back? And he's like, no one ever answered back, so I just kept going. So like, well, maybe just stop. Maybe just stop. That interview and assess where you are. The interview genuinely baffles me because 
throughout the whole thing, he cannot understand what he did was wrong. Mm. And that's scary that it that people can do that. That's the thing that um I think the Douglas Corpy, the prisoner who was interviewing with him, hit the nail on the head and was like, You're a nice guy, I don't mind sitting here with you, but I really don't like who you can turn into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and that's, that's- that- I think that's the crux of the the experiment, really. Everyone's a nice, law-abiding citizen until they're given an opportunity where they don't have to be. Yes. Uh, well, we, I, I feel like we, we bring him up quite a lot now. Um, when we spoke about Diogenes and we said how social structures are sort of what keeps us doing what we do, and if, if you don't have to listen to those social structures... Would you continue being the way you are? Would you just do what you want to do? Would you have a shit in the street and go for a piss and have a wank in the in the cemetery? Like, would for you sure. do all that stuff? And it's like, yeah, you probably would. It's like uh, I was—I remember being with you in. I think it was—it was a busy tube station in London, probably like Charing Cross or something. I don't know. And I, I just turned to you and said, if a riot broke out now, most of these people would start looting at the drop of a hat. They're just waiting for any any sort of situation where they don't have to conform. Yeah. Yeah, but no one, no one. one's brave enough to start it. They need permission. Yes, that's exactly that. It's permission. You need that validation of okay, this is this is happening now, and people will follow it. So maybe the, maybe the experiment is that we're we're all the fucking prisoners. I don't know. Maybe that's going to be too deep. I'm not sure about that. I mean, are we the prisoners? Well, yeah, I suppose on a day to day we are prisoners, so long as there's someone watching and telling us what to do. We do it, but to an extent, um, on day two, the prisoners riot. And in the same way that we will riot if we're unhappy about something for too long. And then when we riot, we become the guards and start looting and doing stuff that we want to do until order is maintained and we become the prisoners again. Mm. Oh, this is getting interesting. It, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's it's more than a film. It is that it's a psychological experiment, one that's been condemned by many. But Zimbardo now he he wrote a book, the Lucifer Experiment, and he or Lucifer Effects, and he goes around the world giving talks on on his book and on this experiment. And I think he learned more than he expected. I think he genuinely thought he would watch a group of lads sit around, do some star jumps for a couple of weeks, and that'll be that. Mm. But he realised that after well less than twenty four hours, people were being forced to dehuman. People were being dehumanised, forced to do exercise. People were being hit, even though they were told you can't hit people. Yeah. Food was being taken away. People were being shut in cupboards. Yep. They were given buckets to piss and shit in. Yes, the buckets I find uh, was uh, a horrible touch. Um, We'll get onto that. So, day two, um, there was a riot. The prisoners uh, weren't happy with their the behaviour of the guards, and it's it's not even forty eight hours. So they started to riot, throwing away their like beds and stuff like that, bordering up their doors so that the guards couldn't get in. Um, and they used the guards then used fire extinguishers to try and calm them, yeah, calm them push down, them back. push yeah. them away. Uh, and then they removed the the beds from the rooms so that prisoners would sleep on the floors. Mm. Um, like you said, uh, those that were ringleaders were put in solitary confinement, which was just a cupboard, um, and they were shut in that. And a lot of them started to panic and get claustrophobia because it was pitch dark in there. There was no ven- real ventilation either. 
Um, in the in, in the film experiment, they, they go a bit over the top with that. There is a riot on day two. There's a bit of a food issue. They don't like the slop that they're being given by the guards, which yeah, I must point crap. out is served up by Travis Fimmel, the actor who plays Ragnar Lothbrok in one of the best series ever, Vikings, which was a surprise to me when I rewatched it because I didn't <laughs> know it was in it. Um, but yes, there is a riot and... Um, they have solitary confinement in that film, but it is just like an old, um, uh, like pipe, <laughs> an old pipe that just happens to be part of the building, and they just shove Adrian Brody in it and lock him in it, and it's just a, a little tube pipe, and he's just sat in that, and I'm like, it's a bit, bit minging, not very mm. nice. Anyway, um, yeah, so prisoners uh, were made to, well, I think you've mentioned it before, call out the names, um, um their numbers sorry not they don't have names while they're in there yeah uh they were refused at night to go to the toilet this was another way for the guards to punish them at night time they were refused to go to the toilet so they gave them buckets as you mentioned uh which were then uh cleaned out by the guards guards would take them away and clean them out and then the guards decided not to to punish them even more and re- and and the buckets filled very very quickly of shit and piss and would stink out the fucking rooms uh, which again further dehumanizes them that they have to shit in a corner and live in it yeah that's worse than normal prison yes in the western world at least way. the toilet is flushable there um mm. guards mocked prisoners uh in, a, in an attempt to dehumanize them as well uh take the piss out of them make them strip naked in front of the corridor and laugh at them and laugh at their genitals and whatnot um awful <laughs> absolutely awful behavior from is just essentially kids playing police officers or guards. Mm. There is a conclusion that the guards' behaviour might have been even worse if they weren't told they were being watched. Yeah, that would be very interesting. Because uh, it, it, <clears throat> it goes to the... Um, you know how we say about like religion, uh, for a lot of people with religion, um, a god of some sort, some higher powers watching and judging you all the time. So you feel then the need to behave and be good. And then the idea for a lot of mm. people who have faith say without faith, what, what keeps you behaving like a good citizen without yeah. someone watching you. And it's like, if you feel the need to behave only because someone's watching you, I don't want to know you. If you ever forget that that person's watching. Um, That's, I think we touched on it last week, didn't we? During the big old tangent rant. That if the only reason you're not going out and like killing people or doing bad things is because you want to get into heaven, then that's not a very good way of living your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good way of behaving. Like I am someone without any sort of faith, uh, and and I behave just because I realise it is better for for everyone else that I behave, not mm. not because there's anyone watching me. Not that, that not that I'm like desperate to go out and loot stores and. I don't know, nick cars and stuff. Like, I'm not. I don't have a desire to do it. I'm not a... I was going to say I'm not a criminal, but then what is a criminal? Um, but, yeah. It it, it... it. I think it's down to morals and morality and the idea of being a better citizen for everyone else rather than just being a, a citizen for selfish reasons. Um, now, what they did find out is there were three archetypal guards. Um, there was the tough but fair who did the job and followed the rules and they just, you know, kept themselves themselves and did what they had to do. Uh, There was the good guy who would do little favours for the prisoners um, 
and then there were those that fully enjoyed the power the ones like dave elsham um who just went mad for it and got a boner over the power and they were the absolute assholes of the lot and those uh, are the people you've really got to watch out for in day-to-day life the ones that do have that capability oh yeah 100 um, percent. because we saw some guards that really didn't want to be there and when things were going too far they mm-hmm. backed off into a corner yeah and they, they had nothing to do with it yeah i mean there so in the film the experiment they touched on that uh forrest whitaker's character uh is a um uh, a religious man um of christian faith uh lives with his mother who he cares and looks after and in he, he's not a man of power or status in the outside world and in this experiment he becomes that person as a guard he becomes that man of power and status and in one instance when he commands the room and commands the prisoners to not do something there's a scene where he's in a bathroom and he's gone absolute hard on over the fact that he's just had a bit of power um and it's quite a a scary moment to see someone who you know has no power gain power and then seeing for him the physical effect it had on him um and you do see that with some people i don't know if you've ever come across someone at work who gets that promotion to like some middle manager position where it's kind of not really a position but it's something just for the sake of being something and then it goes Mm. right to their head and they become a right twat yeah we all know those people who get a little sniff of power and run with it yeah they absolutely go for it and you're like really come on man there is more they could be your friends before as well and they'll just change oh god yeah yeah i know that i know that i've worked with people who i've been quite pally with and then as soon as they get just a sniff of power they change and then they start ratting you out on shit and you're like i know that you've done some shit in this place as well Mm. (laughs) that's i think when you when you do gain power whether you are with friends or not i think you need to be focused but not unfair, if you get what I mean. Oh, yeah, totally. So it, I think in a place where you get promoted above friends, it can be quite difficult because you are like, I've got this job to do, but also I want to remain your friend and we need to find that balance. Yeah, and but, but then um, I suppose it, it, there's two there's two ways where you can sort of do that. Uh, no, it's not two ways. It's a two-way street is the word I'm looking for. So it's a two-way street there. Um, you know, the friend who's been promoted has to then at the some point say to them, look, you understand my position you understand what's going on here um you know don't have to respect the position more than anything i'm still your friend but respect the position and then at the same time that person needs to understand that and well that's how i'd look at it anyway i'd respect the position uh for sure the, yeah i agree the person who didn't get promoted now needs to realize and respect the power whilst also being the second they're off the clock they're still your still your mate and also don't put your friend in a difficult position where they have to then punish you don't be a bell end and make it hard for them yeah and don't expect things from them oh totally totally um now in the film um the experiment um where it gets a bit over the top um there's a character in it who is diabetic. Now, for some reason, now even when watching it back, I still cannot for the life of me understand why the character did it. The character lied about being diabetic and said, oh, it's just low blood sugar. I have to just keep my blood sugar up and I can maintain it through diet. And so they go, okay, fine. But no, this guy needs insulin. And because the experiment doesn't understand that he needs insulin, 
he doesn't take it in with him. So by day two, this guy's flat out on his bed dying because he's not had any insulin injections, right? Now, for some reason, the guards, going on a bit of a power-hungry trip, are like, come on, out the bed, get up, stand in line with everyone else. And he's like, I can't move. And they're like, I don't give a shit. And everyone's like, he can't move, he's literally dying. And for some reason, these guards are so thick, they cannot seem to understand this guy's actually needing some medical help. And they just point blank refuse it for like two more days. Um, and uh, yeah, that that's a side story. But um, they actually shave the heads of one of the prisoners, Adrian Brody. They shave his head as like a punishment because he's like the ringleader of everyone. Uh, there's they piss on him. All the guards actively take their knobs out and piss on him just to show dominance, um, which doesn't happen in the real thing. Uh, there's the sexual assault involved. There's heads being stuffed in toilets to clean it out. Things like that um, are a bit over the top and very Hollywood just for the sake of being in a film and making it look a lot worse than it actually was. Um, not to say that it wasn't bad in there, but they've really heightened it um, to a degree where it doesn't really need it because from what I've seen of the trailer anyway of the Stanford Experiment film that you've watched, James, it is uh, gripping anyway. And you watch it and it's just fascinating that... what. It, the stuff that they did do, you go, I, I can't even imagine normal people doing that. Mm. Yeah, I think the counter to that insulin one in in the Stanford Prison Experiment, there's a there's a guy who needs wants vitamins, but he doesn't get them because they're just vitamins, and uh, another guy who needs glasses, and without glasses he can barely see, and he gets splitting headaches, and they refuse him the glasses. Right. Until after the riot, his cell are the ones that like conform and like just give their beds over willingly. And then to congratulate them, he's given his glasses and they're given a nice meal to eat in front of the other prisoners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, we we see that in the actual experiment itself. So um, the guards do try on some level to uh, recruit one of the prisoners as a informant, um, which I don't think works. Or does it work? Because I know they have a special room for prisoners who behave well. This in the Stanford Prison Experiment. Yeah. In in the film I watched, they didn't really have that. Oh, so in the in the actual experiment, there were there was a particular room which had a bed in it. Uh, so, so for the most part, they would take a bed out of the room and make the prisoners sleep on the floor if they were being punished. But they put a be- uh, they'd give good prisoners who were behaving. They put them in a room that did have a bed, and they were given a, a few more special privileges. And that was in an attempt to try and make mm. them informants on the other prisoners as the things they might get up to interesting yeah um so overall i I mean i don't know how much more you have um before we get to day six uh there is a breakout theory that didn't really come to uh fruition douglas corpy who was the one who faked a breakdown and left was heard whispering to the other prisoners that i'll come back i'll get you out he never returned so that was whether it would have gone on longer in the full two weeks, maybe it would have, but from the six days that they were there, he didn't attempt to break up. Mm. Although two of them did escape at one point, but got captured. Really? Yeah. Um. So, on day six, I believe it was, uh, another researcher who I believe at the time was the girlfriend of Zimbardo and is now his wife, uh, Christina Malsak, uh, Maslak. Yeah. 
Uh, she comes to see the experiment. She's not the first to come and view it, but she's the only one who views the experiment and is absolutely horrified by what's going on. Because she's in the corridor and she sees them, the prisoners get patrolled past them, but naked with bags over their heads. Yeah. And she's asking Zimbardo, what the fuck is going on? How can you not see what you're doing is awful? Uh, and we should point out as well, Zimbardo's not an impartial judge when it comes to this experiment. He's not just an observer researching as he's supposed to be. He is actively taking a role in this experiment, isn't he? He is playing the superintendent of this mock prison. Uh, someone else plays the warden at the start, but then he does, yeah, he, he comes in a little later on. Yeah. And heavily favours the guards. Heavily favours the guards. Uh, and when called out on it by uh, Maslak, he then sort of, like, something switches in his head and he goes, oh, fuck, shit, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is awful. And then claims that he was uh, he was getting too into his role as a superintendent himself. So he, him, he himself was getting too enrolled into the, the, the character of the superintendent in this experiment and therefore was not able to do his job as a researcher properly. Which should, in effect, make make the experiment invalid, right? Yeah. He, he unwillingly made himself part of the, <laughs> the experiment without yeah. even knowing yeah. he was doing it. So, it, it, in a sense, um, he's contaminated his own uh, work by being part of it and getting lost in it. Mm. Because it, you could argue that when he's having conversations with the guards, if he's not able to be impartial and be an observer and a researcher as he's supposed to be, as the lead researcher for this case, he could be dropping little hints to them by saying, oh, no, 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 that should be fine. Like, you can do that or you can do this. And I think he's... Well, like I said before, he gets a lot of shit um, for this uh, experiment because people say that he was giving them tips and ideas and suggestions and saying oh no 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 you can be like this or you can do that uh, and and uh, planting ideas in their heads so that they behaved a particular way. That's the thing a guy called Carlo Prescott was there at the time and he was hired by Zimbardo because he'd served 30, uh, 17 years in prison so he was hired to like view it and see how it compared to, to normal prison and he mm -hmm. says the prison guards acted in the way they did purely because Zimbardo would encourage them and right. would set rules that they were like the rules that he set allowed the prison guards to do what they must so he, he directly blames Zimbardo for the effects that take place and you see it in one of the parole scenes that one of the prisoners is like, I want parole. Like, what have you done? Oh, I'm here for attempted murder or what have you. Even though it's bullshit, he hasn't done that. And Carlo Prescott, no. the the ex-convict, starts going in on him like he's a member of the parole board, being like, why should you be paroled? You've got this past uh, charge, this past charge. You are like scum of the earth, etc. And then he mm -hmm. says to Zimbardo at the end, I just turned into the one thing that I've spent my entire life hating. Yeah. So even he got into the role. Mm. And I think um, one maybe uh, piece of, well, I would, I would suggest maybe is evidence to suggest that Zimbardo has, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, influenced the experiment is the fact that on day one, 
uh, guards' behaviours began to change. Now, mm. we've talked about we've talked about many different bad people on the podcast before. We've talked about Nazis with uh, Himmler. We've talked about um, Mengele. We've we've spoke about some truly awful people on the pod um, who have done some absolutely horrific things to other human beings. Now, in almost every single one of those episodes it doesn't just happen over 24 hours it takes you know years of them to build up mm. to being monsters yeah that's why and we yet, always talk about their childhood and stuff to see where it began exactly and yet in in this experiment it takes them literally hours for them to start behaving like bellends so it, it that to me <sighs> I think it's fair to say to me that suggests that there is an influence. Someone's influenced their decisions to behave like that. They're being told to behave like that, so they just do it. Yeah, um, they're following the rules. They are following the rules. So there's a really interesting experiment, which I think is loosely based on the Stanford experiment. And it's, um, you may have heard of it. It's where you get put in a room. There's a man with a lab coat. And there's like a voltage uh, meter in front of you. And you're told that there's a man or a person on the other side of that wall who has the electric probes attached to their body. And you have to give them uh, a shock, right? And they say like three is like the minimum, it's safe. Seven is the border between where it is safe and now dangerous. Anything higher than seven, it is a very dangerous uh, voltage for the human. And then they get asked questions. And if the person gets it wrong, that person has to then shock them. Now, at no point do you see the person in the other room. In fact, there is no person in the other room. But there is a person in a lab coat telling you they got it wrong. You have to now shock them. And people do it. And the idea is that if you're told to do it by a person of authority, it's almost like it's okay to do. Like you said, with the writing and looting, as long as there's a justification, when someone tells you it's okay to do it, they do it. Very interesting, isn't it? People are just waiting for permission to go crazy because we're all animals at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's... um, Well, we'll go again to that in a second. So... Zimbardo's girlfriend on day six, she sees the experiment for what it was. She sees it's absolutely horrifying and it should, it needs to end like immediately. And it does. So it was supposed to last for 14 days. Now, I'm wondering if Zimbardo's girlfriend had not turned up on day six and witnessed what she saw and told him to stop it. Do you think he'd have stopped it anytime soon or would it have carried on to at least day 10? I think it would have carried on until someone got seriously hurt. Because one of yeah. the prisoners was on a hunger strike. He was refusing to eat. He was, wasn't he? I imagine that forceful feeding would have started to happen. Mm. It's fucked up. You wouldn't get away with it nowadays. Not a chance. Mm. No, not but at all. I, th- it, I think it was a failed experiment in terms of what Zimbardo intended. But I think it drew a number of conclusions that I don't know, benefited. I don't want to use the word benefited, right? It drew conclusions he didn't expect that kind of really let us delve into the human mind. That can be It can be used in other walks. Like you mentioned Mengler, for example. If World War II and Hitler didn't happen and Mengler was not given the opportunity 
and the permission to do what he did in the concentration camps, would he have gone on and just lived a life as a normal human being? I, I believe so, because as we discussed after the war, that's exactly what he did in Argentina. Yeah, he was a dickhead. People said he was a dickhead, but he didn't kill anyone. No, he, as far as we're aware, he went back to living just a completely normal life. Mm. Which means that only under the right circumstances does man become a monster. Absolutely. I think there are exceptions. I think there are people that don't need the permission, <clears throat> and those are the really dangerous ones. Those are your serial killers and things. Yeah. Yeah, no, and those those are the people that are very um, uh, selfish. They're unaware of other people and how it may affect them. Uh, I think that's where the term psychopath comes from, isn't it? They have no emotional capabilities. Yeah, they're not able to sympathise with their victim or other their, their other man. They're only able to see what they want. Mm, I, I think the Holocaust and the Stanford Prison Experiment have a lot of parallels, being the fact that most of the prisoners at the Holocaust were numbers, not names. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there, you'll see a lot of comparisons between this experiment and what happened during World War Two with the Nazis. How can uh, to? Sorry, if it, it's a very vast generalization, but um, it, I think it's just one that it, it just it, it's just an umbrella term, I suppose. And I don't mean it for every single individual. How can in effect a nation, an entire nation, almost uh, change and behave a particular way? And obviously, I know that's not that's not the case. Uh, there are there were, as we've spoken on the podcast, there are many individuals during uh, the Second World War, particularly of German uh, uh, nationality, who uh, despised the Nazi regime and didn't go along with it. Uh, but for those that did, which obviously there were quite a few of them, um, how those people can all uh, share and delve into this monstrous behaviour? and be okay with that i mean we will speak on at some point in the future uh we've mentioned it lightly i think last week the einsatzgruppen which is the nazi mm. death squads who would literally just patrol the streets and murder people uh point blank um how quickly they can just do that and become so desensitized from it it means nothing to them they just do what they're supposed to do and then go have lunch afterwards and then mm. after lunch go kill a few hundred more people on the streets in pits out in the woods afterwards uh and but then even they saw that those guys who served in the Einsatzgruppen couldn't do it for long because they began to change psychologically afterwards their mentality started to change. Some some of the men began to just completely break down and crack, and that was them done. They couldn't do it for long. It's like man can be evil, but there's a limit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the limit varies based on individuals. Oh, totally. So, uh, I mean, you, you have uh, sort of briefly mentioned it, but I suppose the experiment does work in that, you know, is man inherently evil, or does the situation make the person evil? Well. I suppose what we have, what we can, I suppose, uh, conclude from the experiment is that power corrupts. Um, it's that bully mentality. When you're in charge and you feel invincible, your behaviour can change. Mm. Uh, when you're the one in power, you can kind of do what you want. Which I suppose is the funny thing in that this is just an experiment that lasted six days, but it was only supposed to yeah. last for two weeks, right? These guys know that this is going to finish in two weeks, and yet they behaved 
not the worst that could behave, but it, they were going along a path that would become violent and awful had that experiment not have concluded when it concluded. Mm. And after those two weeks, they still then have to come out and see those people that they behaved towards. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm I, maybe maybe I'd be different in the situation, but I'm thinking right now, sat in my room talking about this experiment, thinking, oh, I, I, in the back of my head, I'd always be like, oh, I'll be out of here in two weeks. Like, why would I behave like a twat? That's the thing. That's the big old question at the end, isn't it? Would you have acted any differently in that situation? Exactly. And no one can say yes or no. Well, we we did mention um. Uh, we we have mentioned about the Second World War before, when we uh, asked, would we behave, um, would we conform to the social pressures of Nazi Germany in the 30s and 40s? And we concluded that likelihood we would, even though right now in the 21st century, sat in the comfort of our own homes in a very uh, civilised democracy, um, that we go, oh no, we'd denounce that and go against it. And actually, it's very unlikely we would. And there's, there's, there's not that many Sophie Scholes in the world who would go against it. Oh, out of fear, I think that that one. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, I'm not saying we do. I'm not saying we'd agree with it. I'm <laughs> saying we'd go along with it. But then, do the prison guards? Did the prison guards believe, or you know, um, are they actually monsters, or did they just go with it out of fear, or or you know, because everyone else was doing it, so they just went mm. with it. You know, there is that mob mentality, isn't there? Is it mob mentality? Exactly that. Did they just go with it because? That's what they were told to do, so they do it. It's a lot of the, um, uh, a lot of soldiers during the Nuremberg trials just said that I was following orders. How much they were really? How much of a defence is that really? I was following orders, and you're like, yeah, but you committed horrific crimes against humanity by following orders, and you know. But then, what do you do? Do you say no and then risk it and shut yourself? I don't know. It's difficult. That's the thing. It's proper cut twenty two because you say no, you die. You do it, you lose, you die. You can't win. Yeah, you really can't win, I suppose, in this situation. It's a difficult one. Um, but a very, very interesting experiment nonetheless. And there are quite mm. a lot of conclusions to be drawn from it, I suppose, isn't there? Yeah, human beings are fucked. Human beings are fucked. We are just smart apes wearing, for some of us, uh, tailored clothing and very expensive stuff. And I'm not wearing those. Um, yeah, we're just smart mm. apes who've not really gone that far yeah and we all enjoy power no matter how much we say we don't we all everyone, like it everyone likes to be in power everyone likes to be king although i did mention in the taiko brahi episode last week don't be the king be the person who makes the king yeah reap the benefits don't do the work a hundred percent don't work hard work smart yeah <laughs> yeah is that's what people do's advice of the week <laughs> Don't work hard, work smart. I like it. It's true, though. It's so true. I mean, I'm very good at working smart. Uh, I suppose some people would call it laziness. I call it working smart. It's, you get the job done quickly and efficiently. You don't overwork. Well, there's the old rumour that Bill Gates uh, gives the hardest jobs to the laziest staff members because they find the easiest way of getting it done. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's so true. I, I consider myself, again, I, I won't call myself lazy. I work smart. But I will find the quickest way of doing things in order just to do it. It's like, so now I can go off and do things that I want to do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we worked at uh, a very famous London attraction, which we have mentioned before, but I really can't be asked at the moment. Uh, when we worked at a very famous London attraction, it was conveyor belt. It was people were coming in, what, every four or five minutes? Um, hmm. Now, apart from... 
apart from you guys who were doing the performing, you guys didn't really have much in the way of going faster to get yourself more of a break. But when I was on the ride aspect to it at the very end of the tour, I could be as fast as possible because there was no one else afterwards who I had to then put the shit on. And I got so good at being very efficient at my job. Uh, but not because I liked doing my job. My my desire to be efficient was so that I could sit down. Yeah, and have a little bit longer rest. Exactly. I get that so much. Exactly. And yeah, I really underestimate my desire to sit down as like a tool for getting stuff done. <laughs> mm, I, I'm the same. I, I, I will. It sounds selfish, but I will work in my best interests. And if that benefits other people which in team buildings like that it generally does then great mm. but I, i've been known if if there was a group coming through and i knew there wasn't i hadn't had a group for like 10 minutes or something so the room next to me was free i would just push them through oh god yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't care no and that and that that's selfish on the room next to me but then i assume that they do that as well yeah yeah it, you assume that someone is as bad as you yeah, which is wrong. Oh, we we all, I think that's the point of this podcast, isn't it? There's lots of grey areas. Nobody's perfect. There's, there's little things you do day to day which are bad, but not against the law. Like things you do at work, for example, if you take home a stapler, like that's wrong, but no one's going to fucking throw you in jail. No. No, although if you do meet up with more than six people, you will get fined £100. Yeah, unless you're at work or school, in which case coronavirus knows that they can't get you. As a topical joke for us in the UK, if you are listening from the UK, <laughs> you will understand this. Uh, if you're not from the UK, uh, we've got some new rules come in. It is now illegal as of Monday to gather in more than groups of six. Which is ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. Mm. So yes, um, I, sp- uh, I suppose we could wrap that up. I feel like we've come to a natural conclusion about the Stanford Prison yeah, Experiment. Yeah, I'd recommend... Well, I'm going to watch the film you watch, Experiment. I'd also recommend to everyone watch the Stanford Prison Experiment. It We've kind of glossed over it. It does get into a lot more detail. And you kind of... It, it, it's one of the things you can't justify by just talking about it. You kind of have to watch it. Mm. Yeah, definitely check that out. I will be checking it out myself uh, sometime over this weekend. Um, yeah, check out the experiment with Adrian Brody and Forrest Whitaker in it. Uh, 2010 film and yeah anything else hammers nothing springs to mind i don't think we have a clue what's going on next week do we no no <laughs> no because this was very last minute as well we're like should we just talk about the uh the stanford prison experiment i was like yeah why not it's a nice joint episode um yeah and i might be employed again oh my god we're gonna have to work out a schedule we might have to go to evening recordings oh interesting god damn it. yeah i can do that we've never done that before we've not we have not done that before. Um, oh, that, that's what people do night. night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you, ever watch, you watch Community, don't you? I do now, yes. Have you seen the um, Troy and Arbid in the morning nights? Nights, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am in love with Community. Uh, that's what people it's do. such a good show. That's what people do, podcast endorses. So, Community, six seasons and a movie. Yeah, oh, I fucking love it. It's so, it's so, so self-aware. It's just great. Mm, very good. Uh, yeah, so look forward to that's what people do. Uh, that's what people do at night. <laughs> we'll figure out who's coming next week. Um, it was the Stanford Prison Experiment was kind of neither good nor bad. Last week was good. I think I think a bad person is due. Yeah, we'll have a bad person next week. Um, yeah, I, I suppose the Stanford Prison Experiment kind of covers both. There are people that are supposed to be. It's just the human mind, yeah, yeah, isn't it's, it? It's yeah, it's just humans being humans. It's that's what people do. That's what they do. Yeah. 
Yeah, give anyone a little bit of power, they will run away. I never realised how um, almost meta the name of our podcast has become the longer we've done this. Um, when I, whenever people ask me like about the podcast, I'm like, oh, what, what's it about? And I'm like, um, I always say, oh, we talk about people who have, have done like really cool and interesting things, uh, sometimes throughout history. Uh, we also talk about people that have done really bad, horrible things, things that they probably should never have done. But, you know, the reason why we talk about good and bad people is because well, that's what people do. And I'm like, oh, that is what people do. Like, oh, my God, I'm so meta. <laughs> yeah. What a clever name a we good... have here. It is a very clever name. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> this, this, this is uh, our pat on the back section. If you're bored now, just stop listening. <laughs> there was no rant this week either, which is... We have not had a rant. Maybe it's maybe we'll have a week off. I right, would we'll do one next week, I'd imagine. Yeah, we'll, we'll when we speak about bad people we're gone around. I'm surprised we didn't stay actually about the human mind, but it's kind of just same page in it. Don't be a yeah. dickhead. If don't you... be a dickhead. So sometimes you need to be a dickhead, but just don't harm other people. Yeah, be selfish, just so long as it doesn't upset someone else. Yeah, that's allowed. Absolutely, that's the mm. that's the takeaway from this week. All right then. Um... So, yes, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Make sure you follow us on all the social media as usual. I won't go into it because you know it by now. It's 60 episodes now. So, um, is it? Six? yeah, we're 60 episodes now. Wow. Is it? Um, wow. Six zero. Yeah, this is this is episode 60. So, if, if you don't follow us by now, you probably won't. But, <laughs> um, yeah, if, if you are... Uh, well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Um, if you're interested, you want to help the show grow... Um, drop us a review on any of your social media, uh, not social media platforms, uh, any podcast apps that you listen to us on. Uh, if there is a feature for you to do it, I know if you guys listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you can do that. Uh, drop us a little review or a five star, something like that. Just help That'd us uh, get out there to more people. Um, tell your nan, tell your your friend about the pod. Um, be like, oh, you might be interested in these two guys from England who talk shit. Um, and uh, yeah again like i said if you are interested at all we do have a ko-fi page uh, you can find us at www.ko-fi.com forward slash that's what people do uh, if you head there uh, we do uh, a little it's a little donation page where you can just chuck us like a, a pound or two um, and it all comes toward um, the podcast um, so yeah we're saving up for things like you know better equipment and potentially hopefully getting ourselves like a little recording studio where we can actually meet up uh, in the middle and do other things like get guests and stuff like that so yeah anything you can do to help us out that would be fantastic so yeah Splendid. Um, you can find us on that www.ko-fi.com forward slash that's what people do and i would be eternally grateful um that is everything i believe so next week you will find out next week it'll be a bad person if you have any ideas do let us know because i'm always interested to hear what people want to hear about we've had some great suggestions in the past which have proved to be great episodes yeah yeah totally if you do have any suggestions for us you can find us on the social media like for example if you've got like a project coming up, like a history project or something and you can't be asked to do the research we'll do it for you <laughs> that's a great that is a great uh way of doing it james well done very well done yeah if you have a history project you cannot be bothered to do the work for tell us and we will do an episode on it um and i'll do my best to... and you'll probably get like a, a c but that's okay because that's a pass passing grade is all you need that's that, that yeah. is, that's all jeff winger needs to become a lawyer again i'm just gonna exactly. throw community if, lines everywhere if now. jeff winger can become a lawyer from with a c from a community college you can do what you want with a c from that's what people do podcast exactly um yeah uh, yeah if you have any suggestions email us that's what people do podcast at gmail.com 
Uh, brilliant. All right, then. Join us next week. We'll be sure to be talking about a nasty person. I don't know who's going to be hosting it, whether it's been me or James. We'll figure that out in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, join us then. Thanks very much for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. See you next week. Bye-bye. It's a wrap. Thank you.